Well, good morning again. I'm excited to jump into God's Word uh, with you today. We are in week two of our series called But I Say, and this is looking at some teachings of Christ between Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through verse 48. And what we see in this section of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is speaking to some very practical issues uh, in the lives of, of believers then and believers now. And he's through these, he's teaching some very rich, very deep, very meaningful spiritual truths. And he's giving us these examples to show us what kingdom citizens should look like and how we should live in relation to the world around us. And the way he uses these examples, he um, teaches them by saying, here's what you've been taught, but here's what God expects. And he does that with this phrase, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. So he says, you've heard that it was said, here's what you've been taught. Here's what you've come to embrace as reality. But I say to you, here's what God expects and what he's wanting to show them And what he wants to show us this morning is that what we have been taught and maybe what we have even embraced as um, acceptable behavior is actually far short of God's righteous standard for his kingdom. And the standard Jesus is going to teach is one that is infinitely more concerned with the heart and the priority in the heart and the condition and the motives of our heart than it is with the action of our hands. Because that's what the gospel does, right? The gospel transforms us from the inside out. It's why Christ came. He came to do the work in our heart and from our heart, then the outward expression of that moves into our hands. But uh, the, the, the conclusions that they had come to, and listen, often the ones that we live by are that as long as we manage the exterior, right, as long as the external looks right, then we're good. We're, we're meeting the standard. But the reality is that all of our effort to manage that exterior and to look right is basically window dressing on a condemned building. That's essentially what it is, right? It's window dressing. It's the outward look on a building that is condemned. There was a a storefront in Dangerfield where I grew up, and I'm very grateful you don't hold that against me, Uh, but there was a storefront uh, in Dangerfield where I grew up that from the time I was about seven or eight years old had going out of business painted on it. The last time I I went through Dangerfield, you want to know what that same window still says on it? They're still going out, folks. 38 years, going strong. They're going strong. It's been a great sale. So long, we've just kept it going for almost four decades. And, uh, but one thing about that building is it always looks cool in the window, but it is absolutely run down on the inside because I've been in there. But that is the approach many of us take to our spiritual lives, which is as long as the outside looks good and nobody sees what's rotting on the inside. But Jesus says, that's not my gospel. My gospel came to get past the window dressing and to get into the condemned building and start making you new again. And that's really what Jesus is teaching here. And last week, he began this lesson by looking at the issue of anger. And he said, um, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, anyone who's angry toward his brother is already guilty of murder. In other words, he's saying in the kingdom, anger is the new murder. 
And today we're going to deal with the issue of adultery. But Jesus is saying, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, do not lust. In other words, in the kingdom, lust is the new adultery. That's, he's setting this new standard. And listen, I want to acknowledge right here on the front end, this is a little uncomfy for all of us, all right? So this is just, just one of those Sundays. But the beauty of God's Word is um, when you just talk through God's Word, He speaks to us what we need to hear. And so I want us to get some common ground this morning, okay? I just want to set some common ground. Um, and that's this. This issue of lust and this struggle with sexual purity um, is not an issue that affects some of us and leaves others unaffected. Ready? This is an issue for all of us. This is an everybody in the boat issue. Okay? And so we're going to set aside the lie that says, ladies, you're going to set aside the lie that goes, ah, he's talking to the men today. Men. They're the worst. And we are. But you're going to set that lie aside because this isn't just an issue for men. Did you know that statistically, um, almost pretty much everybody in here, most people in here, struggle with sexually impure and unhealthy thoughts. And statistically, many of us right now, men and women, in almost equal measure, struggle with pornography. Do you know that? That's, that's just real. That's real talk. So we're not going to believe the lie that says this is an issue for some, not for me. This is an all of us issue, right? But I want you to know God wants to do something about this issue in your life. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be made new. He wants you to be liberated. The gospel wants to do a work. You, you can be restored in the area of sexuality and lust and adultery and purity. Hear me, you can find grace this morning. And that's what I want us to pursue together. So set the lie aside that this is a sermon for somebody else and go ahead and lean in. This is for all of us. And the reason I say that is because this, the enemy wants you defensive right now. What the enemy wants is for you to be defensive and for you to be distracted and for you to already be minimizing this in your life. That's what he wants. Because if he can get you to be defensive, ah, this ain't really, nah, this ain't. If he can get you to be distracted, if he can get you to minimize, then again, he can circle you right back down into the trap where you don't look honestly at it. But I want you to covenant with me this morning. And that is this, that we're going to take this area of our lives that for some may feel hopelessly undone and hopelessly broken, and we are going to take it to the God who works miracles. Will you covenant with me to do that this morning? We're going to take it to the God who works miracles. You want to know why? Because on the cross, in the gospel, Jesus dealt with our sexual brokenness. He dealt with this issue 
the, the failures of our past, the wrongs that we've done, the wrongs that were done to us. He's dealt with those in the cross. So right now, the voice of the enemy that is speaking into you and is speaking defeat and hopelessness and um, d- death and dying, and destruction, and perversion, and worthlessness, that voice, you can, as a kingdom citizen, as someone who has embraced the gospel, you can say to that voice that the truth of Christ, and and, and the hope that I have in him, and the freedom that he shouts over my life is louder than shame will ever be. And I want some of you this morning to step out of the fog of defeat and look this issue in the eye and for the first time say, I am going to take hold of the victory the cross has claimed for me. Because you can. You can. But you got, we need the gospel to do this, okay? So let's just covenant, one, that we're not going to go, ah, this is somebody else's issue. And two, we're going to take it to the God who works miracles. All right? Now, I love the way that Jesus deals with this issue. Um, Every one of these examples, whether it's anger or lust or retaliating against our enemies, before he deals with those in our life, I love that before he got there, he gave us the Beatitudes. He gave us Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Here's what's beautiful about that. Before he ever shined the light of his holiness on the issue of lust in our lives. Do you know what he did? He taught us how to deal with it. Matthew chapter five, verse three, four, five, and six are this beautiful framework for dealing with sin in our life. He knew we were gonna struggle. He knew where he was going in this sermon. And so before he ever shone the light of his holiness on impurity in our life, he said, hey, blessed are those who recognize they are spiritually poor. Those who know that their life is broken and that this has become an issue in their life. Blessed are those. You're blessed when you can acknowledge it and you see that you're Spiritual poverty has made room for the issue of lust in your life. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn, those who mourn that sin and mourn that brokenness and repent of it, confess it and repent of it. Because then we get to be the meek. Blessed are the meek, those who then surrender that sin. So we see our poverty, we recognize the sin, we repent of it, and then we can meek it, or we can be meek, we can surrender that sin so that we can do the next beatitude where he says, blessed are those now who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Those who now, having seen their sinful condition, repented of that condition, surrendered that sinful issue, can now start to chase and pursue what actually satisfies. How beautiful that before Jesus ever said the word lust, he said, I'm going to show you how to walk in freedom. Man, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I love how he dealt with that. And so as we wait in, I want us to have that in mind. Let's put those lenses on this morning and jump into Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Look there with me. Here's what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already 
committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Lord, would you illuminate your word this morning? Would you help us wage war against the defensiveness, the distraction? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Would you help us, God, to overcome the hopelessness? Would you remind us that you are the God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? Would you remind us that nothing in our lives can reach the end of your faithfulness? But in grace, you are with us and you love us. And so, Lord, give us the lenses of your mercy and your grace and your freedom this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There's two things I think we see happening here. And then I want to show you some things that I think we do in, in light of that. Here's the first thing that we see happening, and that is this. Jesus affirms the biblical standard of sexual fidelity. He affirms the biblical standard of sexual fidelity. What do I mean by that? Jesus affirms the standard that God has set for sexual purity. And what is that standard? What is God's original design for sexual purity? Well, we see it all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, that God designs, designs sex to be experienced in the covenant of marriage, which is one man and one woman in a lifelong covenant relationship. We see it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, where God's word says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's the standard. Jesus affirms that standard um, here, but we also see him affirm it later in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 19, he's being uh, trying to be tricked by the Pharisees, and look what it says in Matthew 19, verse 3. And, a Pharise- and Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore men shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh." So Jesus affirms that. Then we see later in God's Word in the book of Ephesians, Paul is going to affirm it and begin to expound on it in Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 29 where he begins to show us how this covenant of marriage is meant to actually paint a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church and how God designed marriage to be a living parable of his commitment to the church. So then... In the biblical standard that God gives in Genesis, that Jesus affirms in Matthew, and that Paul teaches on in Ephesians, adultery in, is any sexual relationship experienced outside the covenant of marriage. So, for the married person, any sexual experience outside the covenant of marriage is adultery. But, single folks, not off the hook, Because for single people, ready? Any sexual experience experienced outside of the covenant of marriage is adultery. 
That's the standard. And Jesus affirms that standard. That's the first thing we see him do. But I want you to see what he does next. Not only does Jesus affirm this standard, Jesus enhances the standard of sexual purity. Look at what he says in verse 28. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here is where we see the standard for the kingdom citizen being elevated and spelled out for us. Jesus is saying this isn't just about the physical act of intercourse. It's about the lust in the heart. And he's pointing out that where we have set our priority on making sure we manage the external, he's looking on the interior, on the motives. He's looking at the secret longings of the heart. The word that he uses for um, lust here in Matthew chapter 5 is the word epithumeo. Epithumeo. Here's what's interesting about that word. It's the exact same word he uses in Luke 15 when he's telling the parable of the prodigal son. And he gets to that moment in the parable where the prodigal son is in the pigsty and it says he was longing to fill his belly with the scraps from the pigs. That word longing and this word lust, epithumeo, same word. The picture being painted is this longing for something that doesn't belong to you. And listen, longing for something that is infinitely worth less than what God created you to have. The prodigal wasn't meant for pig slop. And you aren't meant to experience this. And I am not meant to experience this outside the covenant of marriage. And so that word is important, epithumeo, because it says when we do this, we are feeding on something that is less than God's design and we are allowing our heart to long for what does not belong to us. So Jesus is elevating this standard. And listen, Jesus isn't talking about simply recognizing that someone is handsome or someone is pretty. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus isn't saying it's lust to notice someone might be attractive. He's saying what you do with that is what matters. When that attraction leads to setting our hearts on a hunger for what does not belong to us, that's when it is adultery. That's what he's teaching, and that's what he means when he says lust. And he's teaching us, here's the hard part, he's teaching us that lust is a choice we make in our hearts. Listen, lust is never accidental. It is always intentional. Now you're going, well, hold on. I don't know about that. God's word tells us lust is not accidental. You don't accidentally lust for someone. It is it's intentional. It's, 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 a, it's a choice that we make, which means, listen, this could be a um, flirtatious conversation that you have with someone at work because you have a hidden attraction toward them. Now, nobody knows that except you. But the mo- it could be where you intentionally make sure your path crosses their path because there's a, an attraction there. That's this. It could be that um, what, what you, uh, I don't know if subscribe is the right word, 
the people you follow on social media. I don't have social media. I don't know all the language. I'm sorry. I think it's called slap book and dumb face. I don't know what it's called. Um, it could be that you follow people on social media and you've subscribed to their feed because of the images that you see that stimulate your mind sexually. Now, it could be anything from the flirtatious conversation to actively looking at pornography on the internet. But, but Jesus is saying it's about this lustful intent in the heart so that when a man who gazes at a woman and a woman who gazes at a man with the purpose of wanting him or her sexually, had, that person has then committed adultery, meaning fantasized immorality is just as sinful to God as physical immorality. The fact that sex that takes place in the brain has fewer consequences than sex that takes place on a bed does not diminish this is true. If it's hard to hear, it's also hard to say if you're wondering. Meaning this, that when we deliberately, Lord, get this into our heart. When we deliberately use our eyes to awaken our lust. When we look in such a way that passion is awakened and desire is deliberately stimulated. It is adultery and all of us are guilty. We're all in the boat. Jesus is raising the standard. You see the standard going up? He's raising the standard. So now the question becomes, what do we do? If this is an issue for all of us, then what do we do? How do, how do we navigate this? Here's the first thing I want you to see. We have to recognize that only the gospel can provide this kind of righteousness. Only the gospel can provide this kind of righteousness. Remember, every single one of these examples uh, that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount is meant to reveal our um, need for a righteousness that we don't possess and only Christ provides. That's what they're giving to do to, to reveal that need in us, which is why the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5.20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because the righteousness that we can provide for ourselves in right behavior is not enough. We need the gospel. We need heart transformation. And listen to me, your sexual integrity is not a matter of willpower. It is a matter of the gospel. Some of you know what I mean when you say, I try as hard as I can and I keep failing and I don't know why because in your mind, your victory here is based on discipline. It's based on your willpower. And I'm going to tell you the power of your will is based on the power of your spirit, which is linked to the gospel at work in you. This is, the gospel does this. And this isn't just an addiction to pornography or this is any addiction. This is any struggle with sin. It's, it's not an issue of willpower. It's an issue, it's a gospel issue. 
we have to recognize that only the gospel can do this. This is why 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, it needs to be a banner verse for believers. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. For our sake, he made Jesus become my lust and adultery and sexual uh, 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 failing. Why? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Only the gospel can do this. It's the first thing. We got to see that. Here's the second thing. We have to identify the areas that cause us to stumble. This is where... This right here is where the rubber meets the road, right here. One of the ways that we battle this sin is with reality and with honesty. We have to be realistic. We must live realistic. I have to live my life in reality here. I have to live my life knowing Every day, I am five minutes away from utter destruction in this area. Every day, I am three clicks away from absolute disaster. Every day, I am one lingering glance away from total disaster, and so are you. And if you aren't real about that, if you aren't honest about that, then you will never recognize the hold this temptation can have on you, which you will, means you will never know how to run after what can actually help you be free of it. We have, to, we have to battle this with reality because without acknowledging the reality and depth of the temptation, we will always minimize it. And when we minimize the temptation... We justify our deviation away from God's plan. Now, when I was praying through this this week, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to put what I just said on the screen. I'm going to put it up there. It, it's just something he just was chiseling away in my own spirit, and I wanted to share with you. Without acknowledging the reality and depth of the temptation, we will always minimize it. And when we minimize the temptation we will justify our deviation away from God's good design. Meaning, who else in here would testify with me that I know what it means to act like this isn't an issue and to almost justify? We start to justify how we've moved away from God's design. You want to know what brought that on? Minimizing the reality that it's a temptation at all. We've got to look honestly at these areas that cause us to stumble in church. We've got to do business with them. We've got to do business with them. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who are willing to acknowledge they are weak. There's blessing in that. There's a reason why Paul described us in the book of Corinthians as jars of clay that contain the gospel. Jars of clay are very weak. You knock off a piece of pottery, it's going to break. That's how he described us. It's also why he, he said, in my weakness, Christ is made strong. His glory is displayed. 
But some of us want to be glorified by trying to hide that this is an issue at all and try to walk through this life as if we're the ones who walk through unscathed and unaffected. But Jesus has said, no, the blessing is in the acknowledgement of weakness. That's where the blessing is. We've got to be willing to do the work here, which means what? For some of you, TV is an issue, and until you say it is, you'll never do business with it. For some of you, this, this little device that lives in our pockets is an issue. It is a very real issue. And the things you scroll through and look at is an issue. But until you say it and acknowledge it, you're never going to be free of it. For some of you, idle time is an issue. Some of you should never travel alone again, ever, because it's an issue. We have to stop telling ourselves lies. You let me tell you, a lie that I have heard brother after brother after brother in Christ say to me. And I swear in Jesus' name, it just makes me want to throat punch you. Um, I mean, in Jesus' name, right? It's just, if I say that first, it's fine. Um, (laughs) I have heard brother after brother believe this lie and say it to me. Uh, Nudity in movies doesn't bother me. Nah, that don't bother me. I would just like to take a holy moment and call bull on that. Here's why. Because every time that we engage something God designed outside of the parameters that he gave us to engage it, it is sin and sin never leaves you unaffected. And you are not the only man who can see another woman, not your wife, naked and be unaffected. No, you're not. You got to stop telling that lie. Men, do not tell your wife one more time after today that nudity in a movie doesn't affect you. Don't do it. Because any time that you engage what God designed, but you engage it outside of the way he gave you to engage it, it is sin and sin will never, ever, ever leave you unaffected. Before, I have so many people say, oh, you got to watch this movie. It's so good. It's so good. Do you realize the number of movies I am in the dark on? You want to know why? Because I put this title of this movie into Google, and I look up something called the IMBD Parents Guide. It's either DB or BD. I don't know what, which one. But then I put in Parents Guide. You want to know what I want to know? Is everybody going to keep their clothes on? Because if they don't, it ain't for me, and I don't care how good it is. It ain't for me, and it's not for you. There is no movie in the history of cinema that is good enough to wade out into that water and act like I'm going to come through unscathed. It just doesn't exist. So men, ladies, we got to put that lie down, all right? We got to identify these areas that cause us to stumble, and we got to go to war with them. And listen to me, you can't do it alone. You got to have somebody with you. Proverbs 18.1. I know y'all get tired of me saying this verse. I don't care. It's so good. The man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment. Got to tell somebody. All right. We got to know that the gospel is the only thing that can do this. 
We have to identify the areas that cause us to stumble. Here's the third thing. You have to make radical war against those temptations. Look at what Jesus said. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Wow. Jesus is using very strong language here. And I think he's doing that to highlight the weight and the severity of this issue. But I think it's important that we hear his intent, that we hear his Heart, ultimately, we know Jesus isn't talking about physically mutilating our bodies. Remember, this whole sermon is about the heart. Not what we do with our hands, but about the motive and the intent and what's in our heart. Because here's what you know is true and I know is true. I can cut off my hand and it doesn't change my heart. I can pluck out my eye and it doesn't change the longings of my heart. Jesus is using this language to call the citizens of his kingdom into a life of a holy war against these issues. He is calling us into a life of whatever it takes, do it. That, that's what he's calling us into. He's saying, I'm calling you to wage war here. To avoid this temptation at all cost. Do you know what the response is supposed to be for any kingdom citizen when it comes to sexual temptation? Run away. Run. Do you think I feel cool every time I type in parents God like I'm 13? Do you think that feels awesome? No, it doesn't feel awesome. Do you think it feels cool every time my boys want to say, hey, dad, can we put this app on my phone? And I've got to look it up parentally to know if it's all right for them to use. By the way, parents, you need to dive into your children's devices a little bit. All right. The enemy's choking the life out of them and we don't even know it. Dive in, get involved. They shouldn't have a passcode on that phone that you don't know by heart. It's not convenient. It's going to cost you something. What did Joseph do when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him? That man ran straight up out of his clothes trying to get gone. Didn't he? He ran out of his own coat and, and ran away. You say, well, that's not masculine. You know what else ain't masculine? Watching somebody else be with your wife and raise your children because you didn't get this right. Nothing is more humiliating than that. So go ahead and humble yourself. Say, Lord, you know what? Okay, I'll look it up and make sure that all is well. I want to get, I got to make war against this. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Brothers and sisters, we do not flirt with this sin. We fight it. We do not manage this sin. We murder it, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Got to make a radical war against this temptation. Here's the last thing. 
Recognize the gospel provides the only, this righteousness. We can't do it apart from that. Identify the areas where we struggle. Be honest. Make radical war against those temptations. Here's the last thing. Now, we got to pursue Jesus. If I'm going to flee from something, I need to be fleeing towards something better. We got to pursue Jesus. That you have been saved does not mean you have overcome the power of temptation and sin in your life. It means you have been given the means of overcoming. The power of overcoming is at your disposal. And what is that? A passionate pursuit of Christ. Because what our flesh is craving is only found and satisfied in him. Paul wrote a letter to a young man named Timothy, a young pastor. This was his son in the ministry. Timothy was a young man, probably in his late 20s, early 30s. He was unmarried, and Paul wrote a letter to this young pastor, helping him understand the priority of protecting his heart here and being sexually pure. And here's what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. So flee youthful passions, lust, and pursue, chase after, strive to attain righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You want to know what's humbling? That letter written to Timothy, where Paul is encouraging him to walk in purity, was read in front of Timothy's whole church. There's a measure of humility we've got to be willing to embrace. And church, we need to understand this. The battle for my victory over sexual sin is won in the trenches where I feast on the Spirit of God. The battle... With sexual sin is one in the trenches where I am feasting on the Spirit of God. That's where it's one. It's not one anywhere else. That's where it's one. So I want to give you some pr practical things when you're in the battle. What do I do when I'm in the thing, when I'm in the battle? How do I? How do I just realistically start throwing some holy haymakers at this sin? How do I do that? These 10 things I'm going to say to you very quickly come from desiringgod.org. They didn't originate with me, Pastor John Piper. He had like 26 of them, but because I couldn't preach a three-hour sermon, I had to pare it down to 10. They're going to be on the screen, so if you want to kind of wait till I get to the end and snap a picture, I think that's great. It's just something practical to have. And this is for any sin, but... If you struggle here, take a picture, keep it with you. Here they are. First, remember God's standard is protecting something precious, not denying something pleasant. Single people, students, will believe the lie that says, oh, these rules and these parameters, they're just about keeping me from having something good in my life. No, this is about protecting something precious. Married person, do not see God's standard as holding back something good, but rather protecting what is best. That's what it is. This is an important one right here. Don't ask, what's wrong with it, or how far can I go? Ask, 
Does it maximize my experience of God's power, my enjoyment of Christ's presence, and my reflection of his glory? If you find yourself asking, oh, what's really wrong with nudity in movie? You are asking the wrong question. How far can I go in this dating relationship? How far can I go in this social media feed? How, if, you, if those are the questions you're asking, what you're doing is you're managing and flirting and you need to be fighting and murdering. The right question is, does this make much of Jesus in my life? And if the answer is no, you got to run. Here's the third thing. Preach to yourself that there is more joy in God's presence than in sin. What if you really believe that? That I have more joy and more satisfaction in God than I ever could in sin. Realize that lust disables and weakens our capacity for joy with God. What do I mean by that? The more I am eating the little scraps that the enemy puts on the trail to lead me into the trap, the more I'm eating that, the less I feel the hunger for righteousness. And the sin of lust diminishes my capacity for joy with God. Here's a very important one. Look on the opposite sex as image bearers of God. Realize that lust inevitably depersonalizes and despiritualizes people. This is real. Do you know that most women in the adult film industry are victims of sexual abuse or human trafficking? Did you know that? And most of them would do anything to get out of it. And we participate in that. We become a victimizer in that. Jesus is calling us to look at people as image bearers of God. That is a person, that is a soul that will live forever. They bear the stamp of God's image on them. You've got to preach this to yourself in the fight. Be vigilant over your eyes and avoid unnecessary simulation. We've talked about that. Be honest about where you struggle. Be vigilant. Here's an important one. Remember, you are not above accountability. Some of you just believe you don't need anybody in the fight with you. Proverbs 18.1 is for you. I'm not going to quote it again unless you really want me to, but I'm not going to. You are not above accountability. None of us are. Somebody better have the keys to your heart and able to ask you any question and open any door. Somebody. Memorize scriptures. Work to memorize. Well, I just don't really remember. You have got song lyrics from 1981 memorized, and you'll die remembering them. So I don't buy the lie that you can't remember God's word. Sorry. If I know every word to here I go again on my own by White Snake, you dead gum right, I better be able to memorize God's word. And I do, by the way. And many others like it. Memorize God's word. What did David say in Psalm 119? I've hidden your word where? It ain't just written down somewhere. It's in here so that I wouldn't sin, so that I could battle lust. Pray for God's deliverance. 
When Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, he said, hey, you're going to pray these things. Here's something you've got to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You will never be in a situation where you are presented with the opportunity to compromise sexually that God's Word and the delivering power of the Holy Spirit will not take you out of. You always have a way out. Pray for God's deliverance. Here's the last thing. I don't even know if this one's up here, but it's important. Be encouraged. Here's why. God is for you, and God is patient. God is for you, and God is patient. Aren't you glad? You say, all right, Pastor Matt, what do we do then if we've already had this issue in our marriage? What do we do if someone's already been unfaithful? What, if we, what do we do if we've discovered sexual sin? What are we going to do when I actually confess to her or she confesses to me that this is an issue? There's three books that you can look up or, or order. That they're great books. One of them, if it's around the issue of adultery, Restoring Your Broken Marriage, Healing After Adultery by Robert Jones. Great book. If you've discovered sexual sin in your marriage and you don't know what to do, Making All Things New, Restoring Pure Joy to the Sexually Broken by David Paulison is a fantastic book. And then Adultery and Reconciliation 10 Years Later by Ed Welch is another. I don't ever want to preach a sermon like this where I don't say, hey, here's some practical things that you can read as a couple. You can read on your own. It's going to help. It's going to help. Do you know what God has for those of us who have squandered his grace in this area. More grace. More grace. Paul says where sin abounds, what abounds more? Grace abounds more. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Some of you need to come and make Jesus the Lord of your life because you are trying to live by sheer willpower and you're finding out you can't do it and it's because you don't have the Holy Spirit inside you and you've not made Jesus Lord and you just need to come receive this righteousness he has purchased for you on the cross and be made new, be born again. Some of you need for the first time, the very first time in your life to confess that this is an issue in your life and repent of it. You need to tell somebody. Well, I've, I've hidden this long enough. I'm going to confess it. This is real. It's in my life, and I want to repent of it. You need, to, you need to do. Blessed are those who are mourning their sin and surrendering their sin. Just that confession, that repentance. Some of you, rather than coming down here, need to put your arm around your spouse, around your husband around your wife and say, you don't know this, but this is an issue in my life and I just need to tell you that I'm sorry and I love you and I don't want it to be an issue in my life. And if that happens today or in the days ahead, spouse, if, one, if your spouse speaks those words to you, I want you to know that's the Holy Spirit bringing healing into your marriage. That's the Holy Spirit saying, okay, let's work through this. If the Holy Spirit gives them the grace to say it, Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the grace to receive it and work through that healing. Are you with me? Men of God, brothers in Christ, men, look at me. God wants better for us. He wants better for us. He wants us to be um, spiritually 
uh, responsible. He wants us to be spiritually selfless, noble, men of discipline, not of will, but of the Spirit. That's what he's calling us to. Sisters, my sisters in Christ, God is calling you to something better. He's calling you to be daughters of the King, image bearers, which means this. I don't know why the Holy Spirit's telling me, some of you gain a sinful pleasure out of the lingering glance of a man and you need to get that sin out of your life. You need to get it out of your life. You need to say, Holy Spirit, I don't need that. I don't want that in my life. Some of you need to see something different when you walk by the mirror. You need to do one of these. Nope, not leaving the house dressed like that. Not going to do it. God wants something better for us today. Are you with me? So we're going to sing for a few minutes. And as we do, if the Lord has just prompted something in your heart, um, Come on. If you don't have this righteousness, come and receive Christ. If you need to confess we're here, we would love to pray for you. If you need to sit down as a couple and just pray together, do that. If you just need to say to the Lord, God, keep me, keep my heart free. Here are the areas I struggle. Set me free from them. Do that. But let's respond. Let's just be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Father, we need you. We love you. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to move right now. Right now, move among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship.